Welcome to the Audit Room, the number one podcast where you can share your audit experiences, ask questions, and get expert coaching and feedback. Episodes are recorded live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Chicago Time, 12 noon New York, and 6 p.m. Berlin. So be sure to check the show notes to join our next meeting and get all your auditing questions answered. Now, here are our hosts, Trent Russell and Tracy Marquardt. This podcast is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, the services firm that helps auditors leapfrog up the analytics maturity model. Their approach for launching audit analytics programs with a series of proven quick win analytics will guarantee the results worthy of the analytics hype. Whether your audit team needs a data strategy, methodology, governance, literacy, or anything else related to audit and analytics, visit greenskiesanalytics.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Quality Assurance Communication. If you're an internal auditor who wants to take your own or your team's communication skills and audit results to the next level, who wants to create more for yourself, your team, and your organization, no matter where you work around the globe, then check out Quality Assurance Communication at qacommunication.com. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being with us live. This is Trent Russell, and this is The Audit Room. You can join us uh, live every Tuesday at 11 Central Standard Time. That's 11 Chicago time to ask our expert guests your questions or to just listen in. So be sure to connect with myself and or Tracy Marquardt uh, on LinkedIn, where you'll get the links to join us. I'm your co-host and moderator, Trent Russell. I'm the founder of Green Skies Analytics, where we help launch internal audit analytics programs and internal audit data teams. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tracy Marquardt. Hi there, everybody. This is Tracy, known as Europe's leading audit communication consultant. And I work with global teams on all things around communication, whether it's within the team, external to the team with stakeholders, audit report writing, influencing how to get better results through our communication, increase leadership skills and productivity. And I'm very excited today because we have Kelly Paxton with us. And Kelly is widely known as the pink color crime lady, but she's much, much more than that. For over 20 years, Kelly's worked in all types of investigations from money laundering and embezzlement, conflict of interest, criminal defense work. Um, she's got experience in both the public and the private sector. And um, her clients hire her so that she can uncover the truth and they can take action to fix the problem. So our topic today is ethics, uh, how good people can make bad decisions. And a big welcome to you, Kelly, and thanks for joining us in the audit room. Oh, it's an absolute honor to be here today. And um, thank you because it's such an important topic and it's, um, I see Hal's in the room and, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it depends. Hal knows my thing about lawyers teaching ethics and they say it depends. I don't say it depends. I, I'll just say it like I think it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Absolutely. So. We are talking ethics, but Kelly, I've always known you as, you know, you're the pink collar crime lady. You're the the fraud person, uh, including the Friday Fraudster podcast that you uh, what co-host with Robert Berry and Joe Irvin. I'll throw a link to that in the chat yeah. here in a second. Um, but anyway, that's kind of how I've always known you. That's how I was introduced to you, largely our conversations around fraud. And so I wanted to ask if you could share, uh, if we all get in a circle and, and have story time. If you could share maybe one of your uh, favorite fraud cases that you've worked, or again, your Friday fraud, Friday Fraudster podcast, weekly podcast about actual frauds that are going on in the world. And so maybe one of those, just just 
your favorite? Well, you know, it's kind of like asking my favorite child and it always switches, but um, I worked a case for about three years and it was a nonprofit embezzlement case, um, conflict of interest. Um, it was a dysfunctional board. And the reason I really liked the case um, was because, and this is not, um, this is not a, a, a kudos to me, but it was as an investigator looking at the bigger picture and seeing how we could solve it best for our client, the defendant. Mm -hmm. And um, so at about two years into the case, I said to the lawyers, this board of directors is not going to pay her a dime. And it was complicated because there was a life estate involved. It was a step grandma, blah, blah, blah. And I said, they have an issue about money, but they could give her something in exchange and they wouldn't have to write a check. And the lawyers poo-pooed it. The lawyers just like, oh, Kelly, you are just stupid. Okay. And um, I said, I've interviewed a ton of people in the community. I, you know, they're not gonna write a check. And so we offered to settle for X for her to walk away. And they laughed at us. So finally the lawyers said, let's at least try Kelly's idea because the client pushed for it. Fast forward, and I couldn't have done the negotiating because I'm not that patient, but the lawyers negotiated for our client, the defendant to get 10 X, but it was in property and they didn't have to write a check. And I knew they mentally, they couldn't write the check. So it was being creative. And that's what I loved about the case. I mean, I loved, all the parts of it, the pivot tables and everything like that. But I loved looking at the people and going mentally, they can't do this, but they can do this. And we got 10 X for our clients. So that's wow. why it's kind of one of my favorite cases because the creativity, I don't, you know, people know me and my whole issue with lawyers and everything. We need to be creative in the fraud world and not to create fraud, not to be creative in committing fraud, but in solving it and getting people to own up to it. And sometimes it takes a lot of creativity. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think so. That's an interesting perspective to have. Yeah. Sometimes I think the lawyers just sit back and look at the legal stuff and they don't look at the personalities. And Trent, you and I have talked about this before, behavioral science. People are irrational. So why would, you know, a, a nonprofit not write a check for X but they'll give a piece of property that's worth 10X when they could have sold that property themselves, mm -hmm. gotten 90% of it and flicked 10% off to the you know, defendant. They could have done that, but their lawyers didn't think that way. So I think as fraud professionals, we really need to be creative and look at lots of things. So that's yeah. kind of my thing. I like it. Good story. All right. What is so the off of fraud, I guess a little bit, maybe to transition from fraud into ethics, um, the, the topic for today, what is that crossover between ethics and fraud? Anybody that commits fraud, they're unethical. What, how do you, what's that crossover there? You know what? Good people make bad choices. Bad people make good choices. Um, it's very important. It's a choice. It's not a mistake. Sometimes it can start as a mistake, but you know what? I've only had one client say they didn't like the perpetrator. Trader. Only one. And I've said this a million times. I go to sleep every night with a Google alert on embezzlement. And I can't tell you how many stories are. They were like family. He was like my son. She was like my daughter. I let them into my home. 
you know, we've got the fraud triangle. We have opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. We can best control for opportunity. Rationalization, you know, we don't know what's going on in someone's life. You don't live with them. So you just don't know. And, you know, I would say COVID makes rationalization even easier because there's distance. And when there's distance, we know this from, you know, psychology and behavioral science, the more distance between a person and the victim, it's easier to do it. I think that's totally valid. I think COVID has changed how this whole pandemic situation has changed how we interact with each other. It's changed how much, it's much easier to ignore uh, than to reach out a hand, I think, in this in this environment. Yeah. And so the topic again is how good people can make bad choices. But if I maybe rephrase that, why do good people make bad choices? Life happens. You know, I, I, and I say this all the time, I don't get up in the morning and say, oh my God, who's going to rip who off today? Um, and this is excluding psychopaths and sociopaths, but like life happens. You get up and all of a sudden your spouse is like, I got rift. I got fired. Um, or, you know, mom and dad have to go into a nursing home. Um, the son got thrown in jail, the daughter got thrown, you know, into rehab, something like that. People don't plan for those things. We don't plan to save enough for retirement as it is. And um, yeah, Hal, rationalization is such a powerful um, motivator. I deserve X, so we'll do it. I have this funny story and Hal may have heard it before. Three out of five dentists get ripped off by that nice office manager, three out of five. And there was one um, dental hygienist, and it's not usually the hygienist who does it, it's the office manager. But um, she said, if, if my boss, the dentist, says one more time about his Mercedes, Lexus, Jaguar, Tesla has to go into the expensive, you know, car dealership again, I'm going to take the drill and stick it in his ear. <laughs> it's that being tone deaf, you know, living, your, your employees see you. And when you're living out of the corporate checkbook, you know, who's wow. to say, I think of that, I'm going to start putting my coffee on the corporate credit card. Yeah. I think in that uh, story, they would go from tone deaf to literally death, I guess, through sticking the drill in their ear. Well, yeah. how about what? So, so within ethics uh, and like looking at it like broadly, and, and this is obviously an audit podcast. So most folks that are listening are going to be auditors. So they're part of large organizations. Um, how do you, any guidance on changing the ethical behaviors, uh, and maybe this comes back to a, a culture, you know, culture change and, and really pushing it. Is there any guidance or best practices on how to do that? So, uh, last week I had the most amazing sort of mentoring call with Joe Urban and, um, a woman who's going to be on my podcast soon. And, um, she said she started a podcast based on my podcast, oh, and nice. it was warmed my heart. Yeah. And, um, and it's an internal podcast. So like Dan Ariely, my favorite, one of my favorite behavioral economists has said, ethics is a muscle. You can't just run a marathon one day of the year and consider yourself an, an athlete. We need constant reminders. And I've joked like, maybe I should like start a business where I send out little an ethical haiku every Friday for a business or something like that. Um, we need reminders. It's a muscle and you need to use it. And when you use it, it's, it strengthens. So, you know, in corporations, you, you gotta, 
I mean, I know sometimes you can't be incredibly transparent because lawyers, lawyers, um, but like people talk and people look and they see. I, I it just you know begs the question in my mind: Would more communication with our teams, our staff, help prevent fraud? Oh, definitely. And help um, them stay in the ethical sphere. Yeah, and I think people need to see how easy it is for someone, some good person, to make a bad choice. Um, you know, Joe Irvin does a book club. There's um, uh, also Ellen Hunt does a book club. Like, I've never been at a place, a work environment where I've had a book club, but like, what a great way to have camaraderie, mm -hmm. to have open discussions. There's so much amazing content out there right now, like um, Intentional Integrity by Rob Chestnut. I don't know if you guys have read that awesome book with great examples um, from the minute someone gets onboarded. Rob Chestnut, when he when he was with Airbnb, he would be part of onboarding. The chief ethics officer showing up for onboarding. Absolutely. It's so incredibly important. So I think there's fun ways. And, you know, there's edutainment these days. Um, I, I started this course, Fraud and Pop Culture. Hollywood loves pop culture. Like, you know, we can gamify things. So I think we can make ethics a lot more interesting besides it depends. What is it? Uh, Absolutely. Fraud and pop culture. Uh, I was actually trying to point somebody to, because I know you guys used to do the CPE movie club also for a little bit. And I had some yeah. client of ours is like, hey, I need CPEs. Like you seem to know the, the good stuff. And I was trying to find that. Where, where can I find that fraud and culture Course. So we do it in person, but once in a while we do it online. It's just we're taking a little bit of summer break because okay. there is fraud retreat next week in Denver. Joe Urban put it on and um, there's only two seats left. It's oh, my God, it is so good. You're getting swag. You're getting happy hours. You're getting coffee cards. You're getting books from all the authors that are there. Uh, yeah, but fraud and pop culture. So my husband was a history professor. And he, he, one of the books he wrote was about how teaching of history via film. And he was passionate about it because kids will watch movies and we consume content so much differently these days. And I was like, why can't we, Hollywood loves fraud. Look at, catch me yeah. if you can, Frank Abagnale, mind you, that's a whole other story. Um, you know, you've got Wall Street. We have so much content out there right now with fraud. It's because people love it and they think it'll never happen to them. Yeah. So that um, friend of the show, Hal Guerin, has a, a comment and then a question. Uh, it, he asked if getting all that swag is ethical, which I'm, I'm guessing is uh, a joke <laughs> from him. And then uh, before that, uh, Hal said, don't good people make bad decisions because they start small with a, I deserve this rationalization. And when they get away oh, with yeah. it, it grows from there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like I stayed late. I'm going to order from Jimmy John's and I'm going to put it on my company credit card because I used to work at Google and they give me food. Mm -hmm. And I know my boss makes a you know, boatloads of money. Why can't I just stay late and order Jimmy John's? And on Grubhub, he does it for lunch. Like I order their lunch via, you know, Grubhub. Why can't I do it when I'm staying late? Mm -hmm. And it snowballs. It's never a check. It's never one check for 750,000. 
it starts small and you can see the hockey stick of it go. Yeah. Um, the guy who stole the largest school embezzle, public school embezzlement in the United States, um, Frank Tizone, it was Roslyn uh, on Long Island. He said it started with two Greek salads and two sodas over mm. the weekend. He came in on Monday. No one said anything. And it ended up being what? What was the amount? Do you remember? Um, he stole $2.2 million. And how long? Over the course of? Um, a couple of years. interesting in that case one of my hashtags i'm the fraud hashtag being one of my hashtags is hashtags men steal more in this case the woman actually stole more than the man but she was kind of the mastermind he kind of just came along for the ride okay but what i don't understand is is how people even develop the mindset like it's not even something i would think oh i need to go figure out how to do this you know so it must be that starting small piece because otherwise how do you get so deep involved that I don't know. Well, it doesn't make sense you, to my mind. When when I have seen it honestly start as a mistake, how do you undo it? How do you go to your boss and say, you know what? That airplane ticket that the corporate travel agent booked for my trip was personal, but they put it on the company one. It's kind of hard to, and that happened to Diane Catani. Her, she got a trip booked that was personal by the company travel agent. They put it on the company card and she came back. It was over Christmas. She goes, they emailed me. I had to take phone calls. I'll do it next month. And that turned out to be a $400,000 investment. Wow. I'm going to yeah. switch it up a little bit. This is something I've been curious about as I've seen Kelly, you and Joe talk ethics, uh, mostly across LinkedIn. Um, but there's, to me, there's almost like, okay, there's, fraud. There's like procurement fraud. Uh, I'm going to set up a fake vendor. I'll pay myself a thousand dollars a month, whatever that kind of fraud. And then there's the, what I, I guess I would call like incentive based fraud where it's almost like corporate wide. I think of the Wells Fargo situation and maybe you could shed some light, maybe to add some details, um, on that for those that are listening. Um, but I almost see it as like almost two separate buckets like that. Does that make sense? Does, and does it make sense to go, let's go look at like corporate, like organizational wide type stuff that's maybe not in, like an incentive program isn't to create fraud but i believe that's usually you know usually you can game that system somehow and um creates almost like this fraudulent culture within the organization does that make sense okay i'm going to give a huge shout out to allison taylor of ethical systems she was on my podcast i can't remember the episode um but i'll try and put it in the show notes um and uh yeah, it has to do with like, you know, if you just have to sell one more widget to be able to get an extra 20% on all the widgets you sold before, these creative incentive-based cultures. So are you guys familiar with ethical systems out of NYU Stern? Oh my God. Oh, okay. In 2023, you're going to put it in your calendar. We're all going to meet in New York. It is going to be a blast because I did it in 2019. And I couldn't wait for 2021 and then COVID happened. Um, they put on the most amazing conference, Eugene Soltis, Jonathan Haidt. Um, I, I can't even tell you all the people, Ron Carucci. It's looking at the corporate culture. It's so important to look at it. And you know, how many times have we seen a story in the news, um, Uber, uh, where someone goes and makes a complaint about a high performer? 
and they're just like, well, they're a high performer. So nothing's going to happen. We'll move you. Hands off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. How's right. Everyone doesn't need to be unethical in an organization for ethical blindness to set in Wells Fargo and EY ethics exam example or examples that come to mind. Yeah. There are so many examples. And are you guys familiar with Richard B. Strong? I am not. Okay. He's one of my felon friends. I got felon <laughs> friends. And um, he it's a long story. Check him out. He's amazing. He does a lot of this work. He was a, you know, international salesperson. Bribes. Are, are they called bribes? No, it's a gift. Yeah. It's a it's some grease. Um, is he a bad person? Eh, you know, like, but isn't it in some cultures, Kelly? This is normal because I work with a lot of audit teams that are around the world. And one of the top issues they have is like sending delegates to conferences and, and things like that, because, you know, there has to be an agenda and there has to be reasons why. And, and a lot of times in some of these cultures, it just doesn't happen because it's normal for them. So what's normal for us is not necessarily normal in every other culture. Hmm. Right. Right. And that's why it's, I, oh, Allison, like, I mean, I did an episode with her, but I mean, I could have spent hours with her. She's so brilliant. And she started as an investigator doing international investigations. Um, there's so much good stuff out there. Like if you really want to hunt it down, there is just so many great resources out there. And then also, I mean, you guys know that like how much I love LinkedIn and I was, telling Tracy before I feel a little guilty. I've kind of been quiet this summer on LinkedIn, but um, reach out to these people because it's that connection world. Like there's another episode I have with um, Loydette Bay Marrow. Oh my God, she's this lawyer. She used to work in the series fraud office over in England. Um, just such, we could never without LinkedIn and without technology, make the connections that we have and people are giving. I want to yeah. say that people are really giving. Yeah. Oh, and just resources. Like I can't keep up on everything. No, I think LinkedIn has been a real blessing during the pandemic. It's helped us all stay close and stay connected and to share content and share value and to help each other when in other cases we would have seen each other uh, in person and being able to help each other give advice or whatever it is. So it's been a real boon for everyone um, in terms of that knowledge share. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. We are coming up against the um, time, but Kelly, and this is uh, again, just kind of switching gears a little bit. When we had you initially on the show or, Hey, you know, you're going to be on today. I asked you like, what question, is there any question that you'd want me to ask you to make sure that we get that in? And it had nothing to do with fraud or ethics, I guess, specifically, maybe that's in the answer, but uh, what is the favorite part of your job? Um, the favorite part of my job is giving um, resources, free sources, as a, I got that from someone else I know, and connecting people and and being, and I, I don't want to say I'm a fraud influencer, but like getting the word out. And I, I think I posted this and I don't know if you responded to it, Trent, but like, I want to normalize embezzlement, not the act of embezzlement, but the fact that embezzlement happens. Only 15% of embezzlement cases allegedly get turned into law enforcement. We need to get that number up because we need to see that 
This is happening in every industry, in every geography, in every type of, you know, small, medium, large business out there. And if we don't normalize that it's happening everywhere, it will be, you know, hidden in the closet. And the problem is, is people victim shame. I don't want victim shaming. Like I do not want it. And the last thing I want to say about this is there's always a silver lining. I just had a client who shockingly got restitution. Like it's a long convoluted story. She got restitution. The woman who committed the theft got divorced and that's how the restitution is being paid. But um, she got divorced from a very bad marriage. And I said to my client, I said, you know, someday she's gonna thank you. She will thank you for getting out of that marriage. Like there is always a silver lining and the mm. client actually went to one of her customers hat in hand and said, I've been ripped off. Turns out this billionaire, literally billionaire had been ripped off mm. and he ended up like spreading the word about this business. They're selling more than they've ever sold before. So getting it out there and not being embarrassed or shamed and we can't victim shame. Yeah. Tracy, you have anything? I, I did. I just wanted to touch on why you're called the pink collar crime lady, because um, I did was doing some research on you for this call and found some interesting information on your website. And it seems that if I interpreted right, especially right now, crime is up from women. Is that the case or? Yeah. So pink collar crime, the definition of pink collar crime is low to medium level employees, comma, primarily early women, comma, who steal from the workplace. It's garden variety embezzlement. It is the one crime women excel at. 90% of all bookkeeping positions are held by women. So one of my hashtags is it's position, not gender. I just had someone complain about a presentation I did last week, just a sentence of it, because we have an opinion of bad guys. Mm. We're not scared of that nice woman who works at the dentist's office. And actually she's the person we should be scared of. And they didn't like the terms I used. And I apologize profusely. Um, I didn't mean it, mean it to be, you know, anything, but the fact that we have a stereotype of bad guys and really we're most likely to be a victim of sweet crime instead of street crime. And think about your house. You lock your doors. You have a burglar alarm. But you let the people you know, like, and trust access to your bank accounts. Yeah, excellent point. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We could go even longer there, but I know yeah. we're running out of time. So I think the stereotype thing is interesting, though. And maybe this is good. So our kid's been homesick uh, since Monday. And so he's very much top of mind because I feel like he's about to just bust in here any second now. But he believes anyone that gets pulled over by a policeman is a bad guy. And so like, I'm just waiting for the day that he's with either my wife or I, and we get busted for not wearing a seatbelt. And then he's like, bad guy. And I have to go like, okay, look, dude, let me explain Kelly Paxton's position on what a bad guy is and, and how you're stereotyping me because of that. Okay, I gotta ask you one quick question, Trent. And maybe you said this and maybe you haven't, but you have children. Have you ever been in the mall or in a big store and say, if you get lost, run to the nice lady. And if you see a scary bad guy, scream. He's still so well, little I hold him up, all the time. <laughs> well, I grew up with my parents. Like if you get lost back then, we parents didn't care, but um, you know, they're like, if you see a scary bad guy, scream and run, run to that nice lady. And that's what 
I don't want to break the nice lady stereotype. I just want people to understand that anyone can commit a crime. Yeah. Perfect. All right. I will let him know that. I'll make him listen to this after his nap. Okay. Yeah. All right. Tell him not to be so biased. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, he's maybe three. Should, he's also guys, three. Maybe we should do like a behavior, an ethics book for kids. I would buy it. Okay. Do it. Wow. That's great. Kelly. That would be. Yeah. Do Next that. And then we'll, opportunity for you. we'll have you back on. Um, also okay. for mentioning, uh, speaking of you also, uh, I'll throw it to you here at the end of Tracy will, uh, I want you to plug your book also, cause I know it's been well received before that. Uh, thank you all that joined us live, uh, for putting your questions in the chat, uh, and your comments. I'm going to add in the chat real quick. So that's a link to the recordings of this podcast on spotify and itunes i know we had a question about where to find those last week so those are in the chat now uh, i'm trent russell co-host moderator founder of green skies if you're in internal audit compliance risk uh and you need more out of your data hit me up and we'll take care of you tracy i'll throw it to you i am tracy marquardt known as your expert communication consultant all things audit and communication leadership productivity we can help you out and kelly it has been such an honor to have you here today I've been waiting for this one. I'm so glad you could make it. We look forward to having you again, but I would love to hear more about your book, which I have on my other screen. I'm ordering on Amazon today. Oh, thank you. And I'm working for you guys. <laughs> thank you so much.